Hello and welcome back. To begin our third season of this podcast, I'll be sharing from an interview with Dr. Melody Maxwell. Melody was ordained in 2020 and serves at Acadia Divinity College as Associate Professor of Christian History. She talks about her journey to ordination, which took place over Zoom during the pandemic. She also shares her experience working in Christian higher education as a woman and the heart she's had to help female students in particular embrace their ministry calling. I was born on November 8, 1980 in Memphis, Tennessee. Grew up in a family that was very dedicated to Christ and in a Southern Baptist church. And so from the time I was a baby, I was involved with church and gradually made the faith my own and made a profession of faith as a child, was baptized as a teenager, uh, began to grow in Christ and realize what that meant. Because I grew up in an environment where it certainly was considered unbiblical for a woman to be serving an authoritative ministry position over men. Somewhere there might have been a woman as a music minister or children's director or something like that. But in my church, it was pretty much men. As a child, I was already thinking about, you know, serving in a church. But I remember when I was in grade seven and they asked, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said that I would like to be a church secretary because that was really the only role I'd seen a woman in, in church leadership. And I was a woman. I liked doing stuff at church. And so that was what I said. As a teenager, got very involved in a Southern Baptist organization for teenage girls um, called Act Teens. And we did a lot of different mission projects and ministry. And I started in leadership on the associational level and the state level, some sort of on the national level. And I started working at camps for girls and saw that God could use me as a leader. I began to have an imagination that I could be involved in some way like this. I'd been feeling pulled in that direction, but when I was 18, I felt a call to ministry. I didn't know in what form that would take. I did go forward in church and let people know about my call to ministry. I don't remember in great detail their responses, but I don't remember anyone being upset with me. I don't think they thought, oh, this is a call to pastoral ministry because they would have thought, you know, women can't do that. I did realize later that My church didn't license me to ministry at the time. And if I'd been male, they may have licensed me. But I went on to major in Christian studies in college. And, you know, I don't know what my parents thought as far as how I was going to make a living. But they were very generous toward me and encouraging me to pursue my call. I was serving in ministries during those years. But in the context I came from, it was pretty unusual for a woman to be ordained, especially if they weren't going to be in local church ministry. And even then, many women in local church ministry were not ordained either. It was a pretty controversial thing for a woman to be ordained and still is in that context. It wasn't until I started working more with Women's Missionary Union and seeing women in leadership. They were Southern Baptist women as well, but some had some different views on women in ministry. There wasn't ever like one moment when I said I studied this one text and my view was changed, but I gradually began to see examples of women serving in ministry, began to think differently about my hermeneutic, and then found myself in churches that were more supportive of women in ministry. And within several years, I was affirming of women in ministry, had seen God use and call women in ministry, and saw the potential and gifts in young women and other women around me. I also did some adjunct teaching at the time at Stanford University 
Um, but then I made a big move to Texas and spent one year at East Texas Baptist University directing their Great Commission Center, so different missions, efforts, and ministry that the school did. And it was a wonderful job, um, but I ended up only being there for a year because I accepted a faculty position at Howard Payne University teaching Christian studies. It's interesting because the first place I worked at, you know, where I first got involved in ministry was Women's Missionary Union. So most of the people working there actually were women. And that was really the first job I had, the first real job I had. And so I was used to having women as my boss and as my coworker and as my teammates. And that's just how it worked. And then when I went into higher education, it was a bit of a, a flip, right? Especially uh, Christian higher education, Baptist higher education. There were more men than women. I saw some women from afar who were teaching, but it wasn't ever someone something I had a direct experience of. And so that was something I sort of came to on my own. And I never felt a sense that I was rejected. Um, but as a, especially starting out as a, a fairly young woman teaching um, students, some of whom came from quite conservative churches. Of course, students are used to having female teachers in high school or things like that but maybe not as a, a Bible professor, for example, I taught all the New Testament courses. You know, being young brought its challenges as well as being a woman. I was the only woman in the department in the Christian Studies Department, and I was grateful that they wanted to bring in a woman um, because some schools, including my alma mater, would not allow women to teach in the Christian Studies Department. So I was glad to be at a place that affirmed women in ministry, but Sometimes it's easy to affirm that verbally, but to show that fully and to really empower women students and to have women equally represented and to treat the women the same way can be challenges at times. And so um, it was exciting to be able to work with female students and, and male, but to help them see that God could use them in ways they hadn't imagined before, but then also to send them out to sort of a challenging landscape was difficult. Where would they be able to serve in what type of churches? And they would have to get pretty creative with that. So I think opportunities for conversations and networking were important. There's an organization called Baptist Women in Ministry, and there was a Texas version of that. And so every year we would take a good group of students to attend the conference to meet women who are serving in ministry, to hear their stories, to talk with them, to hear women preach for the first time to join in workshops together, to spend time together over meals, and then also having those women, some of those women come in as speakers at the university as well um, to provide new perspectives was something that I really enjoyed doing and I hope made some impact on the students. During that time, I started to think a little bit more about my own calling and I had students, including female students, who were seeking ordination. Again, it was challenging for the young women, but I thought, as a role model to these students and an acknowledgement of my own call, God's call in my life, that I began thinking about ordination. But it was something that um, my church in Texas probably wouldn't consider for women. And um, believe me, I looked for Baptist churches that would consider that for women, but there were not any nearby. And so I eventually talked with the church leadership about being licensed to ministry, which is like the first step, re recognizing your call. And I think I was the second woman licensed by that church um, that had just begun. And so it was a big step for that church to license women to ministry. It wasn't something they had done in the past. And so I really respect that and was honored to be licensed. I came to ADC at Katie Divinity College in 2018. I'm very glad I am here. 
and entered into the realm of Baptist in Atlantic Canada. I've been familiar with Baptists here through the Baptist World Alliance, but I'm very happy to be a part of this group. And the requirements are different for licensing, ordination, et cetera, here. There's a significant process to go through in the U.S. Churches with the Southern Baptist Convention or even the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, which I was affiliated with, don't really have any requirements for ordination. You just say you want to be ordained. They have a little meeting, ask you about your theology, and then you're ordained. And so I came here, and one of the questions I was asked in my interview for the position was, was I willing to consider ordination? As, you know, a seminary professor is um, a ministry role in some ways, and you're modeling for students and things like that. And that time, at that time, I was really open to that. And I said, I've, you know, I've been having these thoughts myself. I've been licensed to ministry. And so I was very open to going through the process. The first thing was to be licensed to ministry by my church here. They wanted a license from a local church in Atlantic Canada. And so, of course, I had to get involved with the church, Wolfville Baptist Church, and get to know people and for them to get to know me. And then did internship at Wolfville Baptist Church while at the same time that I was teaching. I just did that about 10 hours a week. And I appreciated their willingness to work with me as um, someone who was not a traditional student age and was a professor, but was interested in serving in ministry. And so I felt like the internship really helped fill in gaps with pastoral ministry, with things I hadn't done before. And so I went along for pastoral visitation, funerals, preaching, things like that. For my internship, Carolyn Steves, Reverend Carolyn Steves was my mentor. And it was lovely to learn from her and her many gifts and her kindness and the way she challenged me and taught me. And then COVID hit. I did meet before the examining council, and it was a modified version because of COVID. So there were some people in the room, maybe six people in the room, and then the rest were on the screen. And I was happy that they were going to go through with this despite the pandemic, and they took safety precautions. We all did. And so I found the examining council to be um, appropriately challenging with the questions they asked, but um, not a threatening environment. I didn't feel single out or different because I was a woman. I, I felt affirmed in my call. Anna Robbins was the chief examiner for the year, but since she was my boss, she couldn't be the examiner. And I was actually ordained in 2020 through a Zoom service. Um, and it proceeded like a normal service, except it was on Zoom. So it was different, but it was also affirming. And then two women from my church, godly women, I, they might've been deacons, insisted on coming over and praying over me um, despite the risks. And so it was broadcast live on Facebook. And so some friends from faraway places were able to join who wouldn't have been able to join anyway. We stayed on afterwards and um, people from different parts of my life spoke. You know, we all talked together and I was able to have speakers who wouldn't have been able to come all the way to Nova Scotia. And then afterwards, my church actually had an outdoor celebration where we all sat six feet apart um, and joined together for that. So that was really lovely and thoughtful. In Atlantic Baptist life, it's not always, not every church is open to women in ministry either. So um, it's not a perfect environment, but I certainly appreciate being at ADC in a, a place where my colleagues are actively promoting women in ministry. Those at the other place did too often, um, but it's certainly an emphasis of ADC. We have an inclusive language policy, most of us students I teach are graduate students. They've sort of already made up their mind. If they're women, they've already been called to ministry. They're not exploring what should I do with my life. They are saying, I felt God calling me to ministry. Here I am. But I 
certainly want to continue to challenge students, male or female, to consider all the possibilities God might have. Many women who have come here throughout the years have thought, well, I'll lead Bible studies or write books or something. And then they've been open. Their eyes have been open to pastoral ministry and their gifting for that. I'm on the leadership of the Atlantic Society for Biblical Equality, which promotes an egalitarian vision of church. Um, had the privilege of working with Renee McVicker as co-president, seeing her strong, effective leadership. And so I was thrilled when I heard that she was the nomination for executive minister of CBAC. And I, I determined I was definitely going to go to Oasis. I actually got off a plane from London, um, England, and hopped in my car and drove to Moncton because I, I couldn't miss it. I was certainly present at the session, uh, a really significant session in Atlantic Baptist history. It was sobering and difficult to hear the arguments against women in ministry. The arguments themselves were um, what you might have expected, but some were made quite strongly and personally, I felt. And only when I wrote down the positions of different speakers did I realize there were something like 19 speakers in favor of a female executive minister, in favor of Renee's leadership, and three speakers who were against, one of whom spoke twice. And so actually the overwhelming majority were in favor. Um, and then, you know, 93% voted for her selection for the role. But it was difficult to hear the voices of those who were strongly opposed to Renee's leadership. And I think that was difficult for many of the women in the room as well. And so it was a historic moment, a powerful moment, but also a difficult moment in some ways. I teach Christian history, including the Baptist identity class that we have here. Um, so, and my research really focuses on Baptist women, uh, whether that's Baptist women in missions around the turn of the 20th century, Baptist women in ministry around the turn of the 21st century, this project. I had worked on another project that used oral histories that a colleague had worked on, and I saw the power of hearing stories of individual women and men about their own experiences, and also was researching women in ministry, women's ordination, and realized that many of these transitions took place in the 20th century among Baptists, including those in Atlantic Canada, and sort of felt the urgency of capturing women's stories while the women were still with us and while we still needed to be challenged by their stories to greater involvement of women in ministry, greater support of women in ministry, and sort of had this vision of letting the women's voices be heard and applied for funding three times actually and didn't get funded the first two, but persevered and was very grateful for the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada who provided significant funding for the project starting in uh, 2022, I believe. And so it's been such a privilege to work on this project, to get to hear the women's stories. And I look forward to sharing those stories through the podcast, but even more broadly through events, through research, et cetera, in the months ahead. I went back down to Texas to do a lecture about what I've been learning from the first the first eight or nine women's stories. And I talked about how the women strategically were silent when it came to controversial issues, but they they appealed to their calling as what kept them going. I talked about their relational ministry, um, several things like that. And the women there said, that's just like the women here. You know, it's 
it's a different context, but we sense a lot of the same things. And so we definitely want to look at the uniquenesses of women in Atlantic Canada, but also to hear other women in ministry resonate with those experiences. You know, one thing that I noted from some of the early women we've interviewed for this project was that their sense of call really carried them through. And it almost seems like women in ministry have to be sure of their call in some sense than men because that will be challenged at times. And so not from any looking out for your own personal privilege or prestige. That's not why you serve, but it's because you know that God has called you and is is leading you, is leading your denomination through organizations like the Atlantic Society for Biblical Equality. We hope to urge the whole Canadian Baptist, Atlantic Baptist family and other denominations to further the cause, to understand the importance of women serving in ministry, not for the sake of their own glory, but for the sake of God's kingdom. I think a significant challenge for me has been coming from a context where my family members and church members, friends, perhaps some students didn't affirm women in ministry. And so for them, maybe not understanding what it was that I was doing or how I felt called or when I would go preach in a church, that seemed to be a strange thing. We already talked about being in a context that is more male-dominated, about some schools not hiring women. Then again, on some other hand, some schools are looking to hire women because there's not as many women on the faculty. So it's a mixed bag. Occasionally, especially as a young professor, I felt like, oh, I should, you know, bring goodies to my students or invite students over to my house or, you know, fit some of those gendered roles. Female professors tend to get harsher criticism on evaluations and things like that. It's just sort of a, a proven fact. And more difficulty uh, for students recognizing their authority. These are not things I've had significant issues with, but they just tend to be general trends. Um, But I'd say really the joy for me has been walking alongside female students. I've developed a a close circle of female scholars that share similar experiences with me in different contexts and doing life together, even from a distance. I was just thinking about the way when I was a young woman, especially, I felt called to ministry. And then I also felt interested in academics and I didn't know how those two might go together. I have been in awe at the way God has brought those together in my life in ways that I didn't even know was possible. So I have wrestled with that question of how is this a ministry or how is this a, I, definitely it's part of my calling. And I think when you take a broad understanding of ordination, that it's for service to the church, that serving as a seminary professor is preparing students to serve or who are serving in local churches, that that fits into my calling. And I am grateful to the CBAC for having that understanding of ordination. And this reminds me that this is a vocation in which I've been called by God and I'm serving God. Thank you to Dr. Maxwell for sharing your personal story with this project. If you are enjoying Call to Serve, please rate and review the podcast and share the episodes with others. You can follow Called to Serve on Facebook and Instagram and learn more about the project at calledtoserve.ca.